welcome to the Text and Tell podcast. This is a solo show today and it's a recording taken at the SGIA AATCC Digital Textile Printing Conference in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was honoured to be asked to speak. My presentation title, Designing for Digital Textile Printing. The conference brings together industry experts from around the world of print and manufacturing. It's a unique forum for conversation and an opportunity for the industry to gather and share their experiences. So let's listen to what I had to say on two of my favourite topics, design and digital print. Good morning everybody. Um, welcome to SGIA ATC conference here in Raleigh. Um, and today we're going to be talking, hopefully, about um, designing from for digital print from design to production. We're going to be talking about translating that very complex conversation of print, which um, has become a little bit more complex as technology evolves so quickly to make sure that we all understand exactly what we need to do in these processes. A little bit about me and who I am, and throughout my entire career, digital and computer technology has been part of my life. Um, I'm very lucky um, to be as old as I am because I also trained in analogue. Um, so I understand rotary, I understand manufacturing, and have been able to help the various companies that I've worked for over the years to bridge that gap and to either put a small proportion of digital into their businesses or completely replace analogue with digital technologies over the years. Um, as I say, 25 years experience in print and design um, and across all, all, all product bases actually. I've worked in fashion, interiors and events. Um, manufacturing products there too as well, which is an important part of the discipline for a designer who isn't just purely going to be doing print. Um, and as I say here, we had, um, I have my own print company for almost 20 years, which is purely digital. and bought my first machine in 1998 sampling at that time, it was, I think it was a TX1 and it was so slow, it just literally like crawled across the carriage but it was absolutely brilliant for making samples and that's where, that's where that started. Um, and at the moment, my present, I'm the CEO of a Textintile platform which is a resource for the entire industry. Um, as a designer and a manufacturer, um, and the advice I've had to give clients over the years, there's this huge fracture in the middle, there's a huge disconnect. It's very hard to access knowledge and it's very hard for the most designers and the manufacturers and anybody that wants to print any product really to connect uh, through one central location. It's also really hard to find um, white papers and articles and documents that are written in various different formats for the, the advanced reader, intermediate or even the beginner, somebody who wants to start out on a print journey. Um, and that's, that's one of my passions, it's something that I've helped and mentored and done all of my life too. So that's what Textintel facilitates, uh, whilst I also work as a, an expert consultant within the industry as well, um, working with innovative clients and new technologies, and again, bridging that gap. Um, and that's what I I'll eventually carry on doing until I get very old and wrinkly. Can't see me stopping. And this is such an innovative um, business. It's such an innovative sector of the marketplace. So, our industry has faced and met an incredible transformation if you look back from the 90s, really, with the decimation of the textile industry. Um, it's built its way back with new technologies. 
But to understand how far we've, we've come, I just want to do a little bit of um, time travel. So we're just going to go a little bit further back. And we're not going beyond technologies we don't currently use. We're still, you know, as, um, as Mark said, analog is still the vast percentage of the marketplace with digital slowly gaining ground. And until the price points level off with the inks, etc., digital won't take over. When those prices level off, it will. So we're going to look at decorative print for textiles. And we're just going to do a really, really <clears throat> quick history so that we can just see how far, how far we've come in such a short space of time towards the end, really. So you've got block and copper um, printing right at the very beginning. And that's interesting there too because uh, introducing copper rollers in um, the 1800s actually was the beginning of mass manufacturing. The calico industry for textiles at that time was a premium price point. But when they went to screens, they actually over-manufactured and they manufactured too much and it actually dropped the price of printed cottons and calicos and silks, etc. in the marketplace. And really the beginning of mass manufacturing. And then in the early 1900s and up to 1960s, we see the influx of rotary screen. Um, and we're still using pretty much the same rotary screen technology today. It's more automated, but it's, nothing's really changed that much as regards the screens, etc. And then early 1970s, we start to see digital coming through, we start to see this technology, but it wasn't really till the early 90s that it became viable. And when I say viable, I mean it was okay to produce a sample. It wasn't commercially viable, really, in, in truth because of so many different things, crop, rub, wet, all the other fastness things that have to happen at the other end of the process, it just wasn't good enough. So I used it for sampling then. But if you just look at what's happened in the last 15 years, 15, 20 years, it's actually quite incredible where we find ourselves now. And we've gone through a whole generation of multipass technology, which is brilliant and applicable in so many different ways to single pass. Um, and here, single pass, exceeding rotary actually in some cases here um, and I do truly believe that digital will be the future and clients I've had conversations with in the Far East all say the same thing that the minute that the ink prices and the production costs start to level off the whole marketplace without question will definitely switch to digital and it has to do that it has to do that because from the Far East they have to ship to the UK or into Europe large volumes in 10 days you can't do that with analogue technology. You can't engrave, print, produce and ship that quick. So they're going to have to switch over to meet the demands of the fashion industry. Primarily fast fashion products hasn't changed at all. Really, from the 17th century, textiles are the same. We, they're warp weft, we weave them, they make them, everything about them is the same. We have new technical textiles, of course we do, we have smart fabrics and all of those things coming through. But the actual base substrates used for mass manufacturing throughout the world today, whether they're polyester or cotton, haven't really changed polyester, because obviously coming into the loop later on. But it hasn't changed. It's just the end bit that's changed. It's the print process that have changed. And it's a really key point that we remember that because as the marketplace opens up and we start to print more and more and we start to be sure, we have to have the skill sets. Where are they? So just as textiles themselves as a substrate haven't changed, design, design techniques as well remained unchanged for centuries. So here we're going to look at, this is actually probably a, this is an analogue journey now, really. It'd be quicker, obviously, because separation, etc., is so much quicker, so you catch up a lot, lot, lot more time. But pre-90s, the cycle time for a product 
would pretty much be 12 weeks. And that was the same for fashion, and it was the same for interiors. And that's because we, everybody bought the buyer's bought on a seasonal frame. They don't do that anymore, do they? If you look at Zara and Inditex, their print cycle is two-week lead time. Their studio works so quickly to refresh, to refresh, to refresh. With, you know, a very savvy marketing strategy, to be honest, because if I, I, I like Zara, I love Zara, but if I go into Zara and I see something I like, I have to buy it. If I don't, it's gone. And they have a very clever marketing strategy and they've built an incredible brand on that. They feed it all of the time. And the trends that happen today are trends of yesterday or tomorrow. They're not, it's very hard to predict colour and trends that's going to, like we used to, where it's going to be 12 or 18 months ahead. You can probably do that in metallics, you can do that in wood, and you can do that in other substrates. But within textiles, it just doesn't apply anymore. Trends are absolutely 100% now. So looking back, we would create by hand. Everybody would create by hand on the drawing board with massive studios worldwide, huge, huge studios worldwide, a huge industry for of creativity. And then you also had the second set, which are the colour separation artists who were equally talented, in fact, sometimes I think more talented, because they had to replicate by brushstroke by brushstroke the work of the original artwork. Incredibly clever. And then once, once you created every separate colour as a layer, you would engrave a sample screen, which is a flatbed screen basically, and you'd check that you liked the interpretation of the separation artist, and you'd also do all your mini sampling, so you'd start to set up all your recipes and you'd start to prepare for production. And only in that point would you then engrave. So you'd then go to Rotary, your client would approve and agree everything, and then you'd go through the frame and you would start printing for production. Now that's what we st we're still doing that today, but the digital technology has replaced it. Software in the in the night in the wasn't didn't exist really till the sixties, I guess. But um, it controls every single part of our lives and every single part of our manufacturing processes today. And the nineties, as we all know, changed design forever with the advent of computer-aided design. And then as we approach the millennium. CADCAM, a completely new industry, totally new industry that refreshed everything really and brought incredible creativity to the market. So let's take a look at the, the designer workflow 25 years on. Beginning bit, still pretty much a lot of it the same. We had this, um, I call it the Photoshop generation and there's, there's no slant in that. It's just that in the, in the 90s when the design communities really got into Photoshop, what happened was you had lots of people doing, being really lazy, actually, and using all the incredible facilities that Photoshop gave you to use filters and flips and mirrors and, um, and create design that wasn't really very original or very, very photographic. So in the, in the early 90s, we had all of that. And I think in the design studios as well, we saw a lack of painted original artwork without question. But over the last five, six years, all of that's come back. And it had to because the designers have to have a unique um, USP in order for their studios to be successful and to create a niche in the marketplace. So the design studios of today create using software such as Photoshop, of course they do, um, it's incredibly clever and other programs, but they also have create ma manually by hand, they scan the two together. But they also, to sell their artwork, they pretty much always have to have a digital file. So depending on their level of technical ability, um, that will be a digital file 
that it's literally just a scan that's been changed in repeat, or it will actually be a layered file that somebody can then take up to the next program and do separations with, but not for screens generally, but just for colour. So the next part of the process would be to digitise that, that pattern. And here the process changes again. So here we've got designs that then have to be put into repeat, they have to be layered, they have to be separated, um, and they have to be changed and prepared for production. Now, moving backwards again to create, if you are a print buyer and you're working to trends like Inditex, etc., etc., you're working on a two-week schedule, you don't really have time for that studio to call in and we throw their portfolio and have a cup of coffee. Who has time for that anymore? You're buying online, so you buy the digital file down and you either send it to your print, printer, your print service provider, or you print in-house. So you send it onto your own team and that's where the split starts to arrive again is you've got the creative on the left who is a pure creative and then from digitize onwards you've got a new breed of designer you've got a, a textile print designer who has a much bigger frame of responsibilities that continues to grow so once you've digitized you move over to color and you're doing your pre-press so you've separated it you've adjusted it you also hear as well augmented reality starts to kick in too because Quite often, what's been sold has never actually been produced. So depending on whether you're working for a, a, a print house or you're working for a retailer, at this point, at pre-press, you have to make sure that the product fits the, um, the product that's been sold, really. It has to fit what's just been sold online. So everything has to be print ready, um, and then off it goes to production. So all the print requirements have to be embedded in the file. And that never that was never years ago, that was never a designer's responsibility. That was another department that was pre-press and production, um, where they would have done drawdowns and colorways and everything else. But the designer is now responsible for that, depending on where they're working. So if they're in a bureau that's printing, they do all of the pre-press. If you're working for a fashion brand, you're doing all of that too. And, in, and just after colour and here as well, before you get to print, you've probably done the pattern cutting as well. So you've actually starting to see that technology come through into the marketplace more and more where the, um, the actual software that the designer is using is capable of taking the print file and putting it, in, putting it into the pattern file so that what you print is exactly what you need. So if it's a skirt or a shirt, you literally print the pattern and the cloth remains white. Very interesting technology um, and still in its, in its infancy. So to just briefly explain a designer case study here, really, with, uh, with Jeff Haley, top left, looking very young, that's probably over 40 years ago. Um, he's a great, a great case study for a design studio that actually moved forward through digital in innovation and brought incredible painterly skill into the marketplace using CADCAM. And he sells everything online, um, and in the bottom right hand side you've got Richard, his wife and Rebecca who also now run the studio and have been trained by himself. Um, everything available digital. What's interesting here is that Richard, the younger generation, is actually now starting to talk, to talk about designing his own brand. He wants to go direct. He wants to go direct to the contract market and sell his patterns and prints into the marketplace and completely cut out the wholesaler which is an incredible flex in the marketplace. So what he'll do originally, he'll, he'll um, 
work with somebody who can print at low volume and then he'll work his way up until he gets specific volumes and then quite possibly because he's so technical and so creative he'll buy his own machine maybe start with wallpaper in the garage print on a latex and um, manufacture their own products which they then sell online because they're already very savvy online because they have, have to sell their products online so they're on social media they're doing their own marketing the days of the designer sitting in a studio somewhere and waiting for the phone to ring have long gone they really are entrepreneurial and most definitely um, pioneers so what's happened over the last 15 years i guess is that we have totally democratized print it's available to anybody at any end of the marketplace and it's driven by um, online sales as you can see there um, everything's online whether it's design fashion interiors wallpaper um, all coming through online and super 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 fast shipping you can see that there too um, super fast shipping um, the workflow is completely digital we've customized products we've customized production we're most definitely printing on demand and we're printing on demand regardless of volume it doesn't matter whether it's a meter or 50,000 meters it's of no consequence um, it's fast and it's fashion but it's it's still only about meterages and we have to be much, much, much more efficient to meet that print on demand. So we have to make sure that all of our files, etc., are incredibly well organized. So we have to use automation as wherever we can and an automated design workflow all the way through. And if you're a print house or a print company, if you can, if I can understand, explain that in the best format, for, for the design studio, it takes just as much effort and just as much time to prepare the artwork for an order that's gonna print 10 meters as for an order that's gonna print 10,000. The economies of scale within the studio are exactly the same. When it gets to the machine, it's just about how long it runs. So companies, large and small, have to be very, very careful about how they utilise their studio time um, for print-on-demand. And then what we see are, is an explosion of um, new market opportunities here on the right as well. So you've got designers printing, and as Mark said, because of the cost of entry-level printing equipment falling right down, the availability of easily, easily availability of inks, and most importantly, substrates as well. It's really easy to buy 25, 30 meters of any fabric these days. You couldn't do that before. So that's um, really interesting. So we've got mass manufacture, we've got bureaus, we've got designers, and we've got in-house printing here as well. So we've got lots of reshoring going on which is important. So designers are now multitasking creatives with an ever-expanding responsibility. Their, their mainframe has to lock into so many different departments depending on what they're producing. But they're also migrating, the creatives are migrating between fashion and interiors and graphics to events. And just as, again, Mark was talking about the huge growth from the signage industry, looking for extra market margin and seeing a huge pots of gold in textiles, you can see how that's happening. And also graphics being used in decor spaces, graphics being used in fashion. It's an absolute open market, which is fantastic. So we have a new in industry, and with any new industry, there's a, there's a thirst for knowledge. But there's also a drought, as we were talking about earlier, because it's not that much knowledge out there because we lost it and it didn't just happen in the states in the 90s it happened worldwide so all of those huge companies that were disbanded and and and, and were lost 
within them, there was a huge amount of textile technology and a huge amount of knowledge. And to be honest, to, to a certain extent, we've lost a lot of it. So um, it's really important that we train the next generation with the skills that we have currently in our industry and we pass on that knowledge and we build that knowledge. And it's also important, I think, as well, that as an industry we collaborate and we share our knowledge too. Um, and you see that with the ink suppliers working along with the machine suppliers and textile, textile technologists, etc., working alongside them. So we have a thirst for knowledge. And we're working across multiple media and multiple processes, which has had its, has its challenges. And here I'll just say briefly, um, textiles aren't stable. Printing paper is a lot easier. Printing a textile is, um, can be a bit, a bit tricky sometimes in that they change. That, for example, you can print, um, let's say we print a scuba. If you get two scuba fabrics from two different suppliers, the shrinkage could be completely different. How do you account for that? You have to sample processing and standardization within this industry regardless of how many meters you're printing is absolutely critical cotton in pigment printing which is actually why pigment printing is so popular it's towards the end it's a dry process which is great because you're not distressing the fabric so it's not going to go anywhere when it comes off the end of the machine it's still going to look like it on the roll when it gets into the warehouse before it's made into something but if you're printing reactive or any of the other inks some of the other ink sets too you wet and you distress the fabric, depending on its warp and weft or its, its properties, it can move and it can stretch and it can distort. So textile technology and having that skill set in your company is really, really important. So we have to understand textile technology. I'm going to have to do a few very quick case studies. Have got five minutes? Yeah. Okay, this is my own brand. This is the Debbie Mac brand. And just to give you an indication here of how you have to... The designer has to work with multiple surfaces and multiple substrates. They all give different results. So if you print on a dye sub velvet or you print on a linen or you print on a cotton calico, you're going to get a different colour yield. You won't necessarily get a completely different colour that goes way off the mark, but you're definitely going to get a different colour yield. So if you're a designer out there and you're putting together a foam furnishing collection or a fashion garment that's using different fabrics, you have to manage your colours and you have to do colour sampling. It's the same with wallpaper too. Different substrates produce different results and also different ink sets give different gamuts. Polyesters, fantastic gamut. Um, um, pigment as well, actually. Um, the pigment gamut over the last five years has just improved incredibly, incredibly. So there's, there's fantastic opportunities there. Um, I'm going to skip through my own work now because I want to show you some of the other designers. So here is Amina Hamzui, new gen graduate, incredibly talented. She uses lots of different um, technologies. She's using Photoshop, she's using Illustrator, and she moves and mixes between fabrics. The stripe on the right, which as you can see is a bit distorted, is also screen printed. So she's mixing digital with screen to create her collections. The biggest problem for her was colour. She printed at college, but she had to print outsource as well. There is no standardisation for colour. She moves to a different print service provider, the colour's going to change. It's impossible in the marketplace right now if you're in an independent, of course, if you're a professional company, calibration, you can sort that. It's all done in-house. You have your own ranges. Here's Becky. Becky Bland, again, photographer, manipulates her images with Photoshop, also has to create renders in order to, in order to sell her designs. And she's about to start her own brand too, after following on from the success of her patterns. She's going to need a lot of help. She doesn't understand fabric. She doesn't understand print. She doesn't actually know 
So she needs a lot of education and has to work very closely with the printer or print service provider that she chooses. This is a really interesting one. This is um, Ambrose. He also uses um, pattern cutting software. So he actually cuts his patterns um, digitally and then manufactures. And again, a whole myriad of different fabrics, different techniques, but beautiful prints. Phoebe, an interior designer, her problem is she couldn't find one print provider that could move across bases. So she's got cotton velvet, she's got polyester, she's got linens, she couldn't find any on wallpapers. Very, very difficult to put a whole collection together through one print house. And if you're, own, if you're own ordering sl small amounts, it's also very difficult to get that printer to give you the time you need to get your colours right um, because there's no money in it. It's just it's not cost effective. So in summary, nearly there. Um, the key drivers and the key changes affecting our industry um, really are automation for print, for speed and new marketplaces. Um, CAD-CAM changed everybody's world. Augmented reality and um, artificial intelligence are, are here and are set again to change our industry without all recognition. And that's really where fast fashion will come of age because fast fashion has to become sustainable, but it can't be sustainable until it's reading the artificial intelligence that these huge brands have, so they only print what they need. Um, workflow, product line management, supply chain, circular fashion, everything has to connect with every single part of the process so that we move forward in the next five to ten years to a sustainable manufacturing process and I believe that digital is that sustainable process. You manufacture exactly what you need, when you need it and just in time. So it's not the tail wagging the dog anymore, you print the products that you have sold, you don't print products you're going to sell, no stock. And that moves us forward into, into an, a, a fantastic marketplace with lots of opportunities. And as Mark said, the saturation of digital is 7%. So we have a huge market to go out. There's so many opportunities for everybody to grow into this marketplace. And I finished. <laughs> Sorry, I always run on. I talk too much. Um, so thank you for listening. Do we have time for questions or did I run on? We do. We yeah? have about three minutes. Oh, questions. okay. Yes. Anybody so. have any questions? Or you can catch me later. It's fine. Yes? Oh, hold on. Let me get the mic. If anyone has questions, uh, please signal to Peggy and, and wait for the microphone. Thank you. Both in your presentation and the one before, uh -huh. um, the cut and sew market, yeah. this is everything is relied on the cut and sew market. and. We don't really have that here in the States uh, to a certain extent as we do overseas. So how, how is the industry addressing that? When you say cut and sew, you mean ready-made product manufacturing? Yeah, the manufacturing yeah, of the printed textile. Um, in the UK, there are lots of initiatives about that, actually. In fact, there's a brilliant one run by Jenny Holloway in London. What she's done is she has a social enterprise, a fantastic factory that um, produces fashion garments. They train. Um, and they also they teach everybody to sew. So anyone can learn a new skill set, because I said before there's a huge drought of skills, and the drought doesn't just go from textile technology people that don't understand how you warp and weave a textile, because all the way down to the other end. Because if you're going to reassure, printing's easy. You can put, bring your fabrics in, you can put your machinery in, you can build your little factory, but you have to have the skill set. And to find, um, to employ sewing 
sewers and all of those skills that go to actual manufacturing products is an issue. Um, so in the UK there are lots of training initiatives to re-skill the workforce that we lost and to give new opportunities for people who will lose their jobs in the future as well through automation. So you see people retraining and moving back around the marketplace from a pro software that has taken their jobs. Does that answer your question? Yeah? Thank you, yes. Um, and how that extends to the US? Yeah. Is this going to be a hard question, Hitoshi? Yeah. <laughs> Very simple. I use the word differently. Fashion. As far as I can say, fast fashion is actually, uh, for me, fast fashion means a fast process of manufacture. Um, fast fashion really should be defined as a new word because five years ago, fast fashion was kind of, um, it was it was just the, I don't want to use brand names really, but fast fashion was manufacturing huge amounts of products, huge amounts of stocks um, at incredibly low price points for incredibly low markets and smashing it out into the, work, into the place, wasn't it really? And then 80% of it ending up in landfill within a year. I don't use the word fast fashion in the same way at all. For me, fast fashion is about fast manufacturing and I think that's the new definition. So that fast manufacturing could be 1,000 metres or it could be 10,000 metres. And it could be 20 designs across 10,000 meters. It's a completely different mindset. It's not about creating huge stocks as fast fashion, you put it into a warehouse. This is about defined manufacturing that hits the nail on time, just in time manufacturing, driven by artificial intelligence for all the big fashion brands. And as they get that right, all of that will start to filter down and all of that software will start to filter down and be available for the rest of the marketplace as well. Thanks for your presentation. Um, my question is off of software and utilization oh. tools yep. that's kind of available for designers to actually put these folks in black case studies yep. that had multiple materials that they're utilizing to print, issues with color execution. What do you think is out there that's the best kind of visualization tools that designers are using or that you're using to help? Well, that's interesting. interesting you ask because designers are using the tools they can afford. So I'm using Photoshop. Um, but if you were a huge a fashion brand or you're a little bit further up the market, you're going to be using something highly technical and something probably like the Optitech software, which is just groundbreaking and I, it's, it's so good. And the reason Optitech is so good and the reason it's groundbreaking and it plots the future is because it doesn't just do a render. It takes into account the fabric you're going to print on, the ICC profile of that fabric you're going to print on and the drape of that fabric. So whether it's a garment or a sofa, it's going to create a visual for you that actually replicates the identity of the end product. And that's so important. So, so important. It's actually going to look like exactly how it's going to print. Um, and uh, yeah, I have experience with that software and it's just, it's incredible. Yeah. We need to have that level of control throughout the marketplace to, to create sustainably. Yeah, it's a key, key, key step. Yeah, and you see it all different levels of the marketplace. You know, as I said, like Becky and the other the other designers who are new emerging brands, but have to they can't afford photography and everything else, so they have to visualise their products in order to sell them. And then it will be print on demand, print when it's sold. But just as much as this lower end of the marketplace is doing that at low volume, the H and M's, the Inditexes, they're all doing the same thing. They have to because they can't afford the, the stock. There isn't enough margin in the price point to, to control the stock. And as you see, you know, H&M, 
was it more Burberry, wasn't it? Like in serious trouble recently for, um, although they were actually were being very sustainable and they were burning their off their their excess waste, but. Um, they have to have a conscience. And just before I go, there's a really interesting statistic, actually. And it's, it's no surprise that the whole marketplace is moving towards sustainability. And that's because the millennial generation and Generation Z, 62% of them prefer to buy a sustainable product. They have a moral conscience. And they, it is actually, we were talking about this with Hitoshi in Jefferson University yesterday, it's actually in their DNA to protect the planet. They are so, so acutely and passionate about the future. 62% of them will prefer to buy a sustainable product. So it's no surprise that you see the big fashion brands moving towards sustainability and marketing that widely because they're actually endorsing their own brand and they're building brand loyalty too. You will prefer, if you find a sustainable brand, you prefer to shop there at somebody that's unknown. So I probably best stop talking as I'll talk forever. Okay, everybody happy? Yep. Yeah. All right, anybody wants to ask a question, do it later. Thank you. Thanks.